Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Today, we're going to be talking about fur clothing, and fur no doubt comes with some opinions. It's a pretty controversial topic and a bit of a charged word for many people for some pretty legitimate reasons. But I'm on this farm in western Massachusetts where there might just be an answer. It's late February, and the days can get deceiving. The ground thaws beneath your feet, and you almost believe that winter has passed. But four snowstorms in the next two weeks leaves you wondering how you could have ever been so foolish. But let's get back to it. I walk out beyond the house at the farm, down the slight hill that bends beneath the brush and forest. And tucked away, almost completely out of sight, jets a white canvas teepee. I grab a seat beside the wood-burning stove and talk with the woman looking to change the fur industry for the better. Her name is Pamela Paquin. P-A-Q-U-I-N. It is Quebecois. And Pamela runs a company called Peace Fur. Peace Fur was established to provide an alternative to to caged fur in the fur industry. And we take some of the million animals a day that die on American roads, which are already being used by the fur industry, but we clarify the paperwork, differentiate them, show that it's been an accidental death rather than intentional, and sell it as a gorgeous, luxurious product. That's right. Pamela creates high fashion fur products. But she's not trapping wild animals or raising them on her farm just to harvest their fur later. Pamela gets her accidental fur from the roadsides of New England. Because as trees give way to pavement, nature inevitably collides with human progress. You don't realize it when you live in New England, but it's fucking carnage on our roads, right? (laughs) There are dead bodies everywhere, and if those were humans, it would be a war zone. Yeah. And people, we've had to numb ourselves to driving past them. Yeah. And you look and you're like, how can, how can I turn away from this anymore? I cannot, I cannot ignore this. I cannot not stop. But I am powerless to do anything. What do I do? Everyone has these feelings of helplessness. And more often than not, we tend to stray towards inaction. Don't rock the boat. Don't tumble into the ocean. But Pamela isn't that person. That's life, right? Like yeah. Those are the moments that define whether you thrive or you jump into the abyss. And there was no option to go into the abyss, so I had to figure it out. Pamela grew up around animals on her family's farm, the very same farm we're at today. It's been in her family for generations. And it's here where she first understood the idea of ethically treating animals. Because I love animals, because I was a farmer, because I know about nature and the needs of animals. I had ferrets. They were wonderful. And um, they taught me that weasels, who, as it turns out, run about five miles a day, 
um, basically they're like mink, which are their cousins, and they cannot be caged. It's just, even if they get the best food in that cage, even if they get a, a quick death and it's yeah. kind and humane in the way that we would expect from animals that we eat, yeah. um, it's not mentally sustainable for those animals to be in a two-by-three-foot cage their entire lives. It's just not fulfilling for them. But Pamela's career would take her far away from the family farm to the city of Copenhagen, Denmark. I was a sustainability consultant. My job was to work with multinationals who had very complex processes and products that oftentimes had a negative impact, and they wanted to focus on how to make it better for the earth, better for people. And essentially what it looks at is very complex systems dynamics and how human actions affect mechanical systems. Yeah. And uh, it was always human intervention. Yeah, okay. So it's always, always, <laughs> so blame, always, always, always blame humans. So it's like, so how do you fix the humans? And that's <laughs> where it. it started with Jay Forrester back in the 60s. Uh, but I was their director for the European Sustainability Group. And I moved to Europe and married a Dane and <laughs> was having a, a wonderful time uh, doing that work. We worked with Unilever. We worked with Shell. We worked with British Petroleum. Skanska does timber. I mean, so really big, you know, global products. Yeah. Her life was sorted. She had a killer job that paid well. She had a husband and a newborn daughter. What happened next, she never expected. What happened was, sadly, my Danish husband decided to leave me when my daughter was four months old. And I all of a sudden found myself alone. I had given up my work for the year to have my daughter. And he shut off the bank account. And So you're, you have... I am in Copenhagen. With nothing. With nothing. And plans? Plans smashed. And now what do you do? Well, first you have to get through the Hague Convention for child abduction and get the child back to the U.S. Okay, step one. Which worked. That happened. So that was good. She was healthy. It was good. Um, The economy's crashed. This is 2009. There's not a job to be found. Consultants are a dime a dozen. I end up walking dogs for $8 an hour. You know, not even the babysitter (laughs) cost more. It was crazy. There was no way to survive. Yeah. Um, You know, and we don't have the maternity leave that Denmark has. Uh, Yeah. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? And I took some contracted work here and some contracted work there. But it it was just nothing was working. Um, And I was trying to figure out how to be a mom still at the same time. So Pamela and her daughter moved in with her cousin in New Hampshire and stared at the trees for weeks and months. But it was this close look at nature that led to a realization. A business idea, you could say. Fur is profitable. It's a high-end product. Yeah. And there are a million animals a day being killed on the roads and either being thrown away or getting picked up by trappers and put into fur auction as trapped fur, which it's not. Yeah. And what I found out with some studying is that they're obliged to tag it as what's called salvaged fur through the Fish and Wildlife Departments. And so I found a taxidermist uh, and my deer hunting cousin, you know, they like taught me how to handle a knife and (laughs) I got my license and like one day as it was getting cold and season was starting in the winter, I picked up this raccoon and I brought it home and I was like to my cousin, I was like, Johnny, please come outside. I don't know what I'm doing. I got a hazmat suit on, six shots of whiskey, like (laughs) the, the knife store that I'd gone to to try and find the tool gave me this like gutting knife for deer it was completely inappropriate yeah to use, so you I have this huge blade yeah i had no <laughs> idea what i was doing or what i needed or didn't need and so at any rate it was completely liquefied inside and it was horrifying and he fell apart and i felt so awful so um that didn't work the first time trolling the roadways to source animals for pamela's fur products might sound like the logical move 
But real quick, let me break down why that's pure insanity. You see animals on the side of the road. But it's one of those scenarios where as soon as you start looking for them, the road has never looked so pristine. And even if you were to find one, the shape that the animal's body would be in would be, well... Fucking carnage. Perfect. So Pamela takes a much more methodical approach to how she gets her furs. Here I was, this globe-trotting, you know, consultant staying at fancy hotels. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, who knows about where these animals are? Who, who's got their hands on my product? It's the highway departments, right? They're the ones who pick it up. Okay. To clean the roads, <laughs> right? So that there are not bodies everywhere on our roads. Yeah. So I was like, right, those are my boys. So down I go to the shed, and they were incredulous, obviously, at first. Um, I wore my Carhartts to try and, like, fit in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Know, okay. To seem somewhat sensible. And... uh they were kind. And I asked them, you know, would you mind if you have something? Would you give me a call? And, you know, God bless those guys. They did. You know, I don't think they thought I would actually do it. Yeah. So when <laughs> I showed up and I actually picked up, you know, the first animal, and I, I think it must have been a raccoon because it's the most common one. They kind of tipped their hat at me. Okay. Right. Pamela can only source her furs during the winter months. Combine rapidly decomposing bodies in the hot sun, thinner pelts, and breeding season with you know, the legal trapping regulations, and the time for sourcing these animal furs shrinks dramatically. But even when she gets her hands on a pelt, it's never a simple job. This is the dead of winter, right? And if you imagine it, you can't wear gloves. You have to have latex gloves on, so your fingers are freezing. You've got a sharp knife, and you're poking around in a wild body with unknown diseases, it's dangerous work. Yeah, okay. Um, and <laughs> and they, so you're like on, in a highway shed. I'm in a highway next shed. Next to like a, a wood burning stove. stove. Yeah, okay, totally. great. <laughs> great. Okay, yeah, okay, great. The guys are like machines. <laughs> are they just like watching you? Like this is this lady is crazy. Sometimes or, <laughs> I think, yeah, probably. I mean, I think that I'm not dealing with anything different than a doctor or a veterinarian deals with. They have animals that come in or people that come in all the time who've been in collisions and are grievously wounded. Yeah. Um, and then their job is to stitch it up and make them stay alive. I don't have to face that, thankfully. Yeah. But, um, you know, the ones who maybe were scavenged or, you know, there was a serious head injury or a limb is kind of hanging off. Um, that was hard for me to witness, especially as a mom, right? Like, so I was afraid to have knives in the kitchen when I was pregnant. So to, to jump in like that and face the carnage and the reality of what an impact is was really hard. Um, but it had to be done because, again, you cannot do justice and, and really kind of step in there and take ownership of the company and of the product and of the mission if you're not willing to do the work yourself. You just, like, pushed through. Oh, my God, yes. No. <laughs> Lots of whiskey. It was a lot of whiskey and peppermint oil everywhere. Just, okay, so those are those are tips of the trade <laughs> yes. if anybody else is looking to get into it. Knives. Whiskey, peppermint oil, yeah. properly sized knives. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the highway patrol weren't the only ones who initially questioned Pamela's decisions. Did people tell you this was a bad idea, like friends and family? Oh, my God, my mom was distressed. <laughs> yeah, no, they were absolutely. That was the feeling. Like, why aren't you getting a job with yeah. some health insurance, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, I like control and, and, you know, my own schedule. I like that way too much to ever have anybody. And I've lived, that's been my life, you know, the whole time. I was always a peer. I am yeah. not interested in being anybody's employee, and I never have been. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I just did what I had to do in order to make sure that I could thrive and that I would never be at the edge of the abyss again. 
I, I mean, I was on, you know, when I came back to the U.S., right onto food stamps. Yeah. I had no money and no job. Husband, you know, wasn't helping or ex-husband, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like, how am I going to feed us? This was crazy. And um, I've been there and I don't ever want to be back there ever again. And um, when I started this off, people asked me what I did. And I would say, oh, you know, I, I got these animals from the roads and they'd call it roadkill. And for me, that just it was very uncomfortable. Uh, and essentially, it's because I feel that it's disrespectful to the animals. Yeah. Um, they are more than that. We wouldn't say that about our relative if they got killed on the side of a road um, or, or in a car accident. And I find it dismissive. Uh, but, you know, I'm an arrogant intellectual <laughs> and semantics <laughs> matter to me. So um, It's important. Yeah, it's important. It's important to me. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who play off it, but it's not, I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for a wow factor. I'm not looking to shock people. I am looking to standardize and manufacture and grow that portion of how we source fur to a way where we can access all this fur that's being oftentimes thrown away and disregarded so that we can have a sustainable, uh, incredible, you know, 200 million years of research and development by nature on how to keep a body warm. <laughs> like, why are we even bothering with anything else, right? And so for me, that drama is unnecessary. But she knows not everyone's ready to hear her on the use of fur. The thing is, and I think being a, an activist or, or so on and having that kind of ethical feeling is great, but when you demonize people, and I know this, of course, from my consulting work, when you demonize them, they shut down and they don't listen to you. Yeah. Right? So they're not going to hear you out. They're not going to consider your opinion or your valid points, and you're not going to get to hear their valid points. Yeah. You have to be ready to hear those things. You know, there are still people on both sides that don't like me and whatever. You know, I mean, that's the thing. If you if you listen to other people's opinions about you or your work, you will never achieve anything substantial in your life. Coming up after the break. No, I don't try my hand at skinning an animal. You can leave your headphones or your car stereo right where they are. But we do make a brief stop at the body bin before we head inside Pamela's factory. All that and more coming up next. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, 
Let me tell you about the best turnaround story. It's not Rocky 1. It's not Rocky 2. It's gotta be Rocky 3. Rocky's getting cocky. He gets a bit soft. Then next thing you know, Mr. T out of nowhere challenges him and wins. Rocky's broken. He goes back to his roots and he needs to avenge Mickey's death. Comes back, beats Mr. T, takes the title. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about The Grow Show, which is all about turnaround stories of the same epic proportions. Listen to how a once-famous brewery gets back to its roots, or how a grocery store chain lost all of its employees and its customers in one day, plus a lot more. You can find The Grow Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. I don't have time to list all of the places, but wherever you're listening, hey, The Growth Show's on there. Okay, let's get back to weird work. Pamela's factory is in the Hamilton Woolen Mills. It sits alongside the Quinnebog River. The factory building is a story heard all too often around these parts. A once thriving textile industry gutted in the 1980s when jobs were shipped overseas. For someone like me, when I need 3,000 square feet in order to do what I do, um, this is the kind of place that I want to be because this is the, the launching pad, the platform upon which... I believe the new American economy will emerge when it comes to manufacturing. It's a picturesque place. It's even on the historical register. But in a small blue bin out back, those wistful cares of wonder get real. Oh, it's bad news in there. Is it? Oh, yeah. Perfect. That's right. To the body bin. It was very hard for me to find factory space because I always imagined bringing the animals inside to work on them. But what I have managed to figure out, because that's a serious liability issue, and especially when you're sharing space with other companies and you have one loading dock, the liabilities, the insurance, very messy. Um, So what we did here in this mill is that my construction for the fur is on the inside and processing the animals happens on the outside. So normally I have a shed set up. Um, It's the end of the season now, so it's not here anymore. But this is my rendering company, and I put the animals, once I'm done with them here, and then they go to become protein for different uses. Uh, So we are going to open up the container. There's a a coyote, several raccoon, uh, a guinea fowl. My one aunt's dog killed my other aunt's guinea fowl. So we got the feathers. That was kind of, you know. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm nervous, but. Do be nervous. It's, uh, it's, It's with that warm weather in there, it's a little ripe. This is why we do this in winter. Oh. Yeah, good times. Oh. Yeah, stay away. There's no need to spend time here, my friend. All right, let's make our way into the factory. Come on over here. A pelt comes in. Yeah. When I'm ready to make a piece, so pelt comes in. I'm going to bring it over to this table here. And essentially what I do is I spread it out, and then I wet it down with water on the leather side. And then I take a staple gun, and I... Staple the fur okay. to the surface, and I let it sit for 
two days or so, and then I and then it, just I, stretched out. Yeah, on I get okay. about anywhere from like three to maybe five inches extra. And yep. then we come over to my cutting table, which is right here. Okay. Um, and we're gonna cut the furs here. You can see little razors everywhere. Yeah. I have all sorts of sharp, pointy objects in my life. Yeah, <laughs> lots of dangerous things around. So um, <laughs> I'll mark the pelt where I want to cut it. And then I have my razors, and I will very delicately on the leather side cut so I don't actually cut the fur. When I first started, I was using scissors because yeah. I didn't know any better, and it was cutting the hair and making it look like a really bad haircut. And so after I cut it, then we come over here to my sewing machines, and depending on which material I use, so this is my Singer 29.4. So um, I start it up, and then you just, you know, you can control the speed. And this is used for my heavy leathers. And also, how old is this machine? This machine is definitely 100 years old. Um, but indestructible, will last forever. Definitely better made than anything else that I own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then this, I drove through like eight hours of traffic in Brooklyn, New York for this machine. Just to get um, this guy. There was a furrier going out of business. And um, so this is a fur machine. And it... Unlike the Singer or the other sewing machine where it goes up and down, this one goes horizontally. So you feed your fur through it. Through it. So it's like driving clutch. You have to open up the, the gears, put the fur in, and then you close on it. And Oh, whoa. And then what it does is it, it creates a very, very uh, flat seam. Very tightly wound and powerful. So this handles like mink and fox and the lighter furs, the thinner skinned animals, because something like bear is just too thick. It has to go through the singer. From day one, Pamela had a vision for ethical fur. I am not satisfied. I, I'm, this is empire building. You know, I, my, my goal is to not create a multi-million dollar business, but a multi-billion dollar business. That's what this is about. So that trajectory was the, the deal was sealed immediately as soon as I started this project. And the furs that Pamela makes don't run cheap. My product, obviously, very exclusive, luxury without guilt. Um, So I priced it above the kind of standard fur. I'm not Gucci. I'm not Prada. Yeah. But I'm definitely not like Chinese rabbit with Velcro on it. Got it. Okay, so so you know where you're at relative in terms of quality. Yeah, it's kind of like 10 to 30% above what a kind of standard market fur would be that you would find in any of the first stores in Boston. Yeah. So a raccoon neck muff essentially is two raccoons and yep. silk lining and some, you know, $20 an hour for the seamstress because that's a living wage. And as a single mother, I'm not going to pay her minimum wage because I know how <laughs> offensive that is. If you do all those calculations and you take a healthy profit margin, you know, to make sure that you can continue to scale the business, then you're looking at around twelve to thirteen hundred dollars for a, a raccoon neck muff, and and beaver would be kind of similar because it's I get a, the same amount of them. Yeah. Um, if you start looking at something like a red fox, I get a little less of them. It becomes fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars okay. sometimes. If it's an otter or a fisher, it's going to be above two thousand um, dollars. Same for fawn, which is very rare and precious. Uh, so that's kind of how I price it out. But what Pamela is doing today is not exactly what she plans on doing in the long term. You see, Pamela's empire building means large-scale work. She's not in the fashion game. She's in the wholesale game. And it all starts with changing the culture around fur. 
the same one that makes the topic so controversial in the first place. I am not a fashion designer. Um, yeah. I do this because I want to be a wholesale supplier, and I've just started doing that. I've finally gotten a factory after two years of looking for one, and I can now process the animals not on the side of the road. Yeah, so you're, <laughs> you're, moving, you're moving on up out yep. of the wood-burning stove. Exactly. Okay, got it. Well, no, that was really nice, actually. <laughs> that wasn't bad at all. So, um, so the idea is to be able to supply other designers, because almost immediately I got this massive amount of global news coverage yeah. and I couldn't keep up with the demand and I'm having designers contacting me saying can I buy your fur wholesale and I didn't have enough so for example Canada Goose I they must use thousands of coyotes a year they get trapped coyote from Canada yeah and some people take issue with that so what if I can help Canada Goose have accidental coyote trim instead of trapped if people want that you know there's yeah. some people who won't care about what I'm doing or and that's fine yeah. But there are people who do care and they don't buy Canada Goose jackets because they don't want that coyote. Oh, so you want a Canada Goose with peace fur. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So, <laughs> well, that tag on the inside of the jacket could say, you know, fur by peace fur. It doesn't have to be on the outside. It can be on the inside. <laughs> it's all right. I don't mind that. Here on the farm, it feels very pastoral. Sitting on Pamela's porch at the house, I can see the chickens off down the bend picking through brush and the horses milling about behind their fence posts. It's like a greatest hits from any 16th century British or Dutch painter. It's idyllic, it's cozy, but it's a far cry from the luxury hotels, fine dining, and European jet setting of Pamela's previous life. You know, I loved my work, but... I love that I have a teepee and we get to come here and it's so cozy and charming and help people like connect with nature. So that actually for me is the most gratifying. And I could totally, I mean, when I have to learn how to use Excel or, or like QuickBooks or how do you build a website? Yeah. Daddy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like that's like, that's the drudgery of your job. Yes. Absolutely. You would would rather be skinning things. At this point of the year, you know, it's it's February, our season's wrapping up, I'm tired, I'm tired of death, I don't know how doctors and vets do it, so I just, I need some... Just need life, general right now, life yeah. things. So there's that like ebb and flow, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm ready for spring. This episode was produced by Matthew Brown. We'd like to thank Carolyn Kim for introducing us to Pamela. And if you know someone who should be on the show, you can let us know at hello at weirdworkpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sam Balter. It's stay weird, you high fashion leg warmers. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. 
Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.